It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. A grateful nation paid its respects today to those who died 80 years ago defending Pearl Harbor. So terrible a picture. For many, the first day of the war was also their last. 2,400 died. But others made it, and today 32 of those survivors, all well into their 90s, attended the ceremony. Freedom does not come cheap. Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro said the legacy of those who fought here lives in every sailor today, with the words, remember Pearl Harbor, a battle cry that united the nation. They answered their nation's call. They placed themselves in harm way, and they fulfilled their oath to the fullest extent. This is what Pearl looked like in 1941, Ford Island surrounded by the Pacific Fleet. When the attack began, Japan focused on Battleship Row. Torpedoes hit the West Virginia and Oklahoma, which capsized, trapping 400 sailors inside. The California, Maryland, Tennessee, and Vestal also took hits. The Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Utah damaged or destroyed. A dive bomb penetrated Arizona's deck. It sank in minutes, forever entombing 900 sailors, now a memorial to that fateful day. Today, these heroes fight a different enemy, age, but their memories are clear. I looked up and I saw the red ball on the fuselage of this airplane and I thought, my God, that's a Japanese plane, that's not our plane. While many Americans see Pearl Harbor as a defeat, and Japan thought the U.S. would surrender the South Pacific, in fact, within six months, the U.S. Navy had avenged the lives lost here with a major victory at Midway. Brett? All right, Sandy Rios with you. I know that that happened yesterday, Pearl Harbor Day. We mentioned it, but we didn't get to just, like, really sit in it a little bit. And I thought William Lajeunesse's uh, report, as always, was excellent, and I wanted you to hear it. And that reminds me, William Lajeunesse is one of my favorite reporters, certainly at Fox. He's just uh, very even-handed. He just does a great thorough report. And the other person that I used to love was James Rosen, who was fired by Fox, caught up in the uh, sexual harassment lawsuit when so many, uh, you know, Bill O'Reilly and others. And somehow I never heard any details about James. Uh, You know, I just have no idea. You know, you can be fired for that without actually doing anything very seriously wrong. They're calling sex, you know, flirtation and things like that. So I have no idea. So having no idea, I would say, uh, in spite of what I don't know, James Rosen is going to be joining the Newsmax team. And I'm happy about that because James is such a great reporter. You might remember that under Obama, um, when he was president, James Rosen's uh, records, his telephone was tapped, all of that. It was a, it was an incredible scandal uh, because at the time, you know, reporters are not supposed to be treated that way. But my, how times have changed. Can we speak? Can we talk about James O'Keefe? That's kind of gone silent, and I don't know how to update you on, I think James has had some success with judges in New York State. 
Uh, but that's all I'm prepared to say. So, uh, and, you know, it's just a fight, and we'll see what happens to the legal fight for his survival. Uh, George Rasley, friend of mine who is with conservative um, HQ, just reminded us of a story about Pearl Harbor that was particularly moving to him, and it is moving. I remember hearing this, uh, one of those many years that we celebrate Pearl Harbor, uh, but it's uh, about a machinist mate first-class Robert Scott He was on the battleship USS California, stationed below the decks, running an air compressor, which is not a very glamorous job, but it is the reason that the technology of the guns during World War II was able to keep going. So when his battle station compartment flooded on the USS California, and um, which was at the side of the air compressor, which is where he worked, he refused to leave. And he said, this is my station, and I will stay and give them air as long as the guns are going and he did die on his post. Others remembered him saying that he was awarded uh, the Medal of Honor posthumously uh, a few years ago for doing that. So great story of tenacity. And George goes on to observe that you know it. it <laughs> he was contrasting that with uh, the lack of courage of congressmen and other people on Capitol Hill. Uh, what happened on nine eleven? How they ran? I, I you know I wasn't in the states, so I didn't get to see get. I didn't observe that because I was uh, in North Korea when that happened. Uh, but George is saying that they ran from the Capitol. Like, you know, I forgot exactly how he said it. He said they literally ran out of their shoes to get away. And that was, he just contrasted that with how these men uh, in this particular battleship and how this one man and the tenacity required uh, to stay at your post no matter what. And that then reminded in the discussion of some of uh, people that I know, Mark Rogers is one of them. I know Mark for a year. He was the years. He was the chief of staff uh, for the Senate Republican conference that day, along with uh, Barbara Ledeen, uh, a longtime friend who worked on the judiciary committee up until recently. Uh, they both worked at the Senate Republican conference at that point, and they refused to leave. Uh, they were told by Capitol Police to get out. They didn't. They went into their office and locked their doors because they were the communications arm of the Senate's Senate, and they felt how we can't, we just can't all run. And first of all, we don't run from terrorists, and so they stayed. And of course, the the Capitol wasn't uh, wasn't attacked, and they were able to leave at their own leisure later. But in their own words, they said they think in thinking about it, it certainly wasn't because we were brave. More likely, we were just obstinate. And um, But, of course, obstinacy is part of bravery, and it's part of what we kind of have to summon up in these days, isn't it? Like, no, I'm not giving up. I am not giving up. No, we are not. No, you're not going to have it that way. It's not going to be that way. You will not do this. Uh, and so um, there's nothing wrong with being obstinate, and that's an example of good obstinance. I want to thank you for responding to our plea for help for the greatest journey, um, um, which is under the big umbrella of Samaritan's Purse. This is the discipleship curriculum for all those kids who got those Christmas boxes that you have sent and packed that are even now being sent overseas to all those children. Uh, and you remember yesterday our guest talked about they're going especially to unreached people groups, these boxes, in brand new translated languages. And in their own language, they will hear who Jesus is in these the Greatest Journey curriculum, the follow-up. People who live in those countries will make sure the information gets out. They will be discipling the kids. And so it's an incredible program. And uh, as of yesterday, I don't know what the numbers are, but as of last night, we had raised enough money to make 7,000 children 
to provide the necessary means for 7,000 children to be uh, to be able to share in this curriculum or be taught this curriculum, The Greatest Journey. So thank you for that. And if you, if you didn't have a chance to give yesterday, it's just, remember, $6 a child. And the phone number is 877-616-2396. That's 877-616-2396. Or you can donate online at AFR.net. That's AFR. Dot net and we will appreciate and so only God will know really you know the work that you do the money that you give but he sure does know he's the audience of one that we serve he's the one that knows when we work and when we don't work when we our thoughts are impure and when they're not when we do selfish things when we have bad motives he knows all of that so he certainly knows when we give uh, he's the he's the great judge he's the just judge uh, who will stand before it someday and so um uh, all right, I want to talk to you about something really good that happened last night, at least in part. It was good. And that was that the National Defense Authorization Act, um, well, was passed last night. I, I think both houses have passed it now. And I will say the good part first, okay? The good news, the bad news? Okay, the good news is that, that uh, the GOP draft resolution to block female military draft was removed. So, in other words, they took the whole issue off the table the whole issue of drafting women. And it's really shocking to me because why in the world was that in there and why was it tolerated? I'll, I'll tell you why. Because Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Joni Ernst, Marsha Blackburn, and others supported drafting women. Now, I realize that in this day and time where we have women doing jobs that they used to not be able to be considered for, whether you know it's professional positions like doctors and lawyers and pilots and all of that, um, so you think of it when you hear it, I'm guessing, in terms of equality of opportunity for men and women, uh, which um, most of us don't have a problem with, to a point, I don't have a problem with it. If women can do the job, uh, they can't be NFL quarterbacks, and I would argue that they're doing a lot of jobs that they are not really capable of doing, uh, not really able to pull their weight because there's a big difference between men and women. But So I wanted you to know where I'm coming from on this. But on the issue of drafting, the great objections – if you just stop and think about it, most of you have never served in the military. I haven't either, but I've been close to people in my life who have. So when you think about women going out into combat, it's just uh, it's one thing to you know serve in an office or do communications or do intelligence. It's a very different thing to be drafted to go into a battle. Just think about the considerations of being female, of pregnancy, uh, of being, you know, the dangers of the tensions produced by putting men and women together in close quarters in terms of changing and sanitation and the things that people have to do when they're, they're in a, a ditch somewhere, you know, fighting a war. Uh, just think about the considerations of women who have, no matter what feminists say, 30% less upper body strength of their ability to, to help their comrades to help pull them out of trenches, to help pull their bags, to actually do hand-to-hand, really? It's just, it's a ridiculous notion. And also a draft, remember, you think about um, forcing women to go into these situations when they are so weak. It's really like slaughter. Men are different. Men are different. Um, Our men now are very weak by comparison to past decades. There's no question about that. And that's that's a stomach-churning, isn't it? But our women certainly are not able to go in and do battle like that. So that's a good thing that it was removed. 
And um, I don't understand why Mitch McConnell and uh, Joni Ernst and Marsha Blackburn and uh, Mitch McConnell supported that. I don't. I don't get that. I'm. I'm. Sh- I'm really uh, disgusted at it, to be honest with you. Okay, so it was taken out of the National Defense Authorization Bill, but the problem is lots of bad things remained. And so our uh, Chip Roy, congressman from Texas, wrote this morning early, just got this in my box this morning, um, actually late, late last night, Chip Roy issuing, issuing the following statement. He voted against the National Defense Authorization Act. Chip says he supports his mil- the military proudly. There are a lot of military people in his district in Texas. Uh, but he said... Um, there are so many things in this a bill that are just completely uh, just cannot be. He said, um, rather than focusing solely on its core purpose to strengthen our national security, the in this NDAA fails to hold the Pentagon accountable in any meaningful way for the disaster in Afghanistan and 13 killed Marines. It advances uh, gender equality policies and programs. It continues to fund critical race theory and diversity offices. And it continues to fund and advance climate literacy trainings. So that's what the Republicans voted for last night. Those that voted for this bill, they voted for those things too. Um, and this point, I really want to drive home. Chip says, and I know about this, and I really am upset about this, on behalf of those of you who serve in the military, Chip says, while I am grateful to the work of my friend Mark Green, ranking member Rogers and others to add a provision eliminating dishonorable discharge uh, that she's talking about uh, from not getting COVID vaccines, this legislation would continue to allow the termination of service members' careers over what should be a private medical decision not to take the over-politicized COVID-19 vaccine. As the representatives of thousands of military families and he goes and t- lists the bases. I am proud to support the fundamental purpose of the NDAA to ensure to have a well-trained military ready to defend our nation's national security. However, I cannot and will not, in good conscience, rubber stamp an NDAA that is 21 pages long, that I've had less than a day to review, and it contains so many provisions unrelated. Our service members deserve better, and so does the republic they defend. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the same page with Chip, and I'm disgusted by that half measure to say they did something to save our military personnel from having to take the COVID-19 dangerous vaccine. Uh, that's a half measure. It's worthless, and they don't deserve a victory lap. I'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning. The church is growing big time in Latin America, and here's why. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. If you follow groups like Barna who measure church growth in America, they'll tell you it's somewhat stunted. In fact, it may have even dipped here in America. But it prompts you to look at where is it growing around the world. It's in places like Latin America because people are willing to suffer for the gospel. Let me tell you about a church outside of Caracas, Venezuela. They are rescuing women who are kidnapped and forced into prostitution by the drug cartel. They're serious about this. In fact, one of the members was killed by the cartel. His corpse pulled behind a truck to make an example to other Christians to stay out of the way to the cartel. But I can tell you this church is focused on what they believe God has called them to. And they have led more than a hundred women, former prostitutes to faith in Christ. And these women are needing Bibles because they're non-existent in that part of Venezuela. Please, at $5 a Bible, make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. 
The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relief. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Santa Claus got a concealed carry permit the other day, showed up at the El Paso County Sheriff's Department in Colorado. It was a clever social media post promoting concealed handgun permits. But folks on Twitter thought otherwise, accusing the Sheriff's Department of being insensitive. The post came just days after a school shooting in Michigan. The sheriff backtracked and apologized, said they meant no disrespect. The anti-gun crowd came after Congressman Thomas Massey, too. They got triggered by his Christmas photo. The entire Massey family locked and loaded. The congressman told me he will never take down that photo. He refuses to capitulate to the cancel culture Christmas mob. You know, back to Santa for a second. If he plans on making a stop in Chicago or San Francisco on Christmas Eve, he really does need to be packing heat along with Donner and Blitzen. I'm Todd Starnes. Merry Christmas from American Family Radio and Sandy Rios in the Morning. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the Morning on Facebook or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the Morning on American Family Radio. Mariva Duarte says her 13-year-old son, a student at the Barack Obama Global Prep Academy in South L.A., brought home this vaccine card after having accepted the COVID-19 vaccine at school. She says he said yes when someone offered it in exchange for pizza. The lady that gave him the shot and signed the paper was the one that told my son, please do not say anything, I don't want to get in trouble. LAUSD says student matters are confidential and wouldn't comment specifically, but did say its Safe Schools to Safe Steps incentive program is meant to ensure several steps are in place for vaccinated students to receive prizes. Not against the vaccine, she's vaccinated herself, but it's different with her son. Because he's got some underlying conditions that concern you? Yes. He has problems with asthma and allergy problems. 
But here's the problem. Kids in California cannot consent to vaccination. Attorney Jennifer Kennedy has been following the two cases against LAUSD over the vaccine mandate currently making their way through court. Both are ultimately seeking an end to that mandate. The LAUSD does not have the power to add a vaccine shot to the California school schedule. Okay, so that's happening in L.A. It just uh, makes you shudder, doesn't it? It just makes you shudder to think you'd send your kids to school and they would be vaccinated without your permission and your knowledge and that they would bribe your child with pizza. Isn't something wrong with that? Even if you want your children to be vaccinated, don't you want to be the one that takes them, makes the appointment, stands with them? Do you want them to be bribed with pizza? It's just horrendous. And so um, that reminds me, you know, across the country in New York yesterday, we did not play this clip. This is uh, from yesterday's clip sheet 15. This is where de Blasio is explaining very proudly how now children need to be vaccinated as well. This is clip 15. Let's listen. Uh, our youngest kids, we got to reach them now. Right now in the city, it's about 20 percent have gotten vaccinated in that 5 to 11 range. It's new. The vaccine's relatively new. But what we're trying to say to parents is it's urgent before Omicron grows, before Delta continues to stress us even worse in the winter months, uh, get your kid vaccinated. And here's an incentive to do it. A lot of parents, of course, want to take their kids out to wonderful things that will be happening in the holiday season. Here's a reminder, get your child vaccinated. Just one dose will immediately qualify any child to be able to participate in those activities. But look, I'm a parent and I remember vividly when my kids were going to school, you know, you don't end up in a situation where a child is left unprotected. I, might, I urge parents really strongly, get that vaccination. It's safe. It's been proven. Here's another incentive to do it. I, I, you know, he is so convincing, but boy, did he really step in it with that statement. The lies are amazing. As Omicron grows, yeah, Omicron is growing, and now we're finding out more and more every day how really weak it is. How people don't lose their sense of smell, they don't have to be hospitalized, they don't die. It's virtually, it's just a very weak manifestation of the early COVID. At least that's the way it looks so far. Of course, the experts like Fauci and others are hoping against hope that it gets terrible so that they can justify all of their travel bans and their lockdowns that they're so crazy about. And so you could drive a truck through that. And then he says, through a vaccine that's safe and proven. Okay, so that reminds me of a little piece that I found this morning. Uh, this is kind of a scatter shot. So have patience with me for a second. This is uh, from an article. Uh, it says, uh, just the day before Japan's announcement, they announced, uh, I, I forgot what they did. This is starting mid-sentence, so I don't know what announcement they're talking about. I know they stopped. They started giving ivermectin, I think. Twitter started warning users not to read a research abstract on heart problems following mRNA vaccination that was published in the American Heart Association journal Circulation. The abstract, submitted by California doctor and former cardiac surgeon Stephen Gundry, found, quote, dramatic changes, end quote, for most of his COVID-vaccinated patients in a blood test that measures early signs of heart problems. The patient's so-called PULS Pulse score jumped from an 11% risk of acute coronary syndrome within five years to 25%. Here's another article. Japan has followed Nordic countries in citing higher-than-expected risks in young people. Uh, But Twitter is calling this research unsafe. 
Back to this story. Governments around the world are warning their citizens that COVID-19 vaccines present heart risks in some populations. But if Twitter users try to look up similar research, they may receive a warning that this information is unsafe. Japan's Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare raised the alert level for side reactions to the Pfizer and Moderna two-shot mRNA vaccines on December 3rd, according to an English translation of a report by the Japanese Kyoto News Service. Just the News. This is an article from Just the News. I didn't know that till just this minute. Just the News. Oh, that's John Solomon, by the way. And I think John's very trustworthy. Just the News couldn't find a native English version. So Japan's Ministry of Health and Labor is raising the alert level for side reactions to the Pfizer and Moderna two-shot mRNA vaccines. And you can find that in Japanese, but you can't. Find it in English. Reading on, serious symptoms of myocarditis and pericarditis are being reported among the vaccinated more frequently in young men than usual. But the ministry still generally recommends vaccination because the benefits outweigh the side effects, so says Japan right now. The heart problem figures are much higher for Moderna than Pfizer. The Japanese ministry said that as of November 14th, for every million males who took the Moderna vaccine, 81.79 ages 10, this is, this is hard for me to decipher, so I'm going to read it just as it says, 81.79 ages 10 through 19 and 48.76 in their 20s developed such symptoms. Okay, so that's, that's clearer than I thought. So it sounds like that's a percentage. For Pfizer, those figures are less. I'll just demonstrably less. Sweden and Norway have stopped offering Moderna to people under age 30. Um, So FDA added a heart inflammation warning to fact sheets for the mRNA vaccines around this same time. But you can't find that on Twitter or social media, and that is the point. And that's the reason that our neighbors and friends just don't know. They just don't know. But, of course, DeFazio says uh, that, you know, he is the guru here. He's assured us that this vaccine is, is safe. You know, it's very safe, not to worry. Um, Now, I'm going to give you some good news because a federal judge just yesterday out of Georgia uh, has stopped the final part of the Biden vaccine mandate. A federal judge in Georgia issued a nationwide stay on President Joe Biden's vaccine mandate Tuesday in the latest victory for the Republican effort to stop stop the requirement. U.S. District Judge Stan Baker issued the ruling Tuesday afternoon, joining two other federal court decisions that's the Fifth and circuit, Sixth Circuits blocking Biden's mandate from taking effect. The Biden administration seeks to require vaccinations for all federal employees and employees of federal contractors. And here's uh, what the judge said. Abuse of power by the Biden administration has been... No, no, no. This is the a quote from the Republican South Carolina Attorney General Alan Wilson. He says, Abuse of power by the Biden administration has been stopped cold again. Um... He was the one who brought this suit, uh, joined by attorneys general from Georgia, Alabama, Indiana, Kansas, South Carolina, Utah, and West Virginia. So um, let's see. Baker's decision Tuesday blocks the final piece of the Biden administration's mandate related to federal contractors. So I know many of you have written to me and you said, I'm a federal contractor. I don't know what to do. So it sounds to me, as I said to you yesterday, wherever you are, even those of you in the military, hold on as long as you can. 
Just stall, stall, stall. Hold on, hold on, because we're getting some good decisions here, and you should feel encouraged, at least hopeful, whereas it initially didn't seem like there was any hope. Well, Jen Psaki was asked yesterday about these mandates, you know, how the administration felt about that. And uh, I want you to hear her response, and then I want you to hear Attorney Jonathan Turley's response to her response, clip two. The reason that we proposed uh, these uh, these uh, requirements uh, is that we know they work, uh, and we are confident in our ability uh, legally uh, to uh, make these happen across the country. The Department of Justice will vigorously defend uh, this in court, but we know it works. That's why the president and the administration will continue pressing forward. <laughs> well, that confidence seems to be based more on hope than experience. I mean, you have four uh, rulings now across the country. Uh, these mandates are now frozen in amber until they can uh, break them free on some type of appeal. Uh, but they all have one similarity. They're all coming in, and not all of them in different areas. These are about three different areas. But all of these judges are saying that President Biden's exceeding his authority, that he's using uh, these powers to achieve indirectly what he couldn't do directly, and that is to impose a national mandate on the country. Now, if you recall, President Biden has gone back and forth. He suggested that he did have that authority, that eventually he admitted that he didn't have the authority. And then his chief of staff retweeted a statement that they found a, quote, workaround. And he announced this to the country and said, we have a workaround uh, where we'll be able to achieve a national mandate without the authority effectively. Well, among the people that read that retweet are these judges, including the Fifth Circuit, that actually quoted Ron Klain uh, in a footnote and said, yeah, this might be a workaround to you, but we don't see the original authority that you need to do this. All right, so that's Jonathan Turley, and uh, this is this is a blow to the Biden administration, no doubt about it. They're trying to pretend like it isn't, but it really is a tremendous blow to them. And um, you know, they say that the mandates work, yes, because people are frightened of losing their jobs because uh, military people serving faithfully are frightened of losing, you know, being. S- Booted out of the military, losing their pensions. Medical workers in hospitals have been frightened. A lot of this has been gutted. I don't know how it's affecting those of you listening to me. I don't know if you've, if anything has changed where you are. We're going to talk tomorrow and open the phone lines more than usual and really talk to you about this because I, I do want to know. You know better than I do what's happening in each of your states and situations, and it helps me to hear from you on that stuff. I want to go overseas because we've been covering what's going on over there. This is, um, this is uh, Jacinda Ardern. She's the Prime Minister of New Zealand. And um, I, I just want you to hear what she has to say. Let's listen. So long as there's people who are eligible who haven't been vaccinated, we've got work to do. You know, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied so long as there's someone who's choose, you know, who who is eligible and hasn't been. And that's why I've said this. There's not going to be an end point to this vaccination program. Uh, once we've, obviously, we're rolling out boosters now. So we've got a, another, you know, wave of people that we need to make sure that we're protecting again. So um, those who were vaccinated six months ago, we really need them to come back or we need to go to them. So did you catch that? It's never going to end because now we're going to have boosters. And I just want to ask all of you, some of you may still you know, really support the vaccines. And it, I probably annoy you because of my conversation about it all the time. And you know what? If you feel that way, I still would ask you, is this what you want? 
where you constantly then have to go back and be revaccinated, where you're for not just by not voluntarily, because the doctor's telling you it's a good idea and it's better for your health, but you must, or you can't work, or you must, or you'll be fine, or you you must, or you can't leave your house. This is what Europeans are facing. Now, this is of course New Zealand is not Europe. But that's just an idea. Australia, New Zealand are in terrible condition. I told you yesterday, uh, I played yesterday, the uh, one of the executives of the uh, European Union, I think we played it two days ago, talking about how they're going to be locking people down. Uh, we know that the outgoing um, uh, president of Germany, Angela Merkel, is all about you know locking down further, which reminds me of a story that the Blaze printed just yesterday. A man kills himself and his family over fears from his employer discovering fake vaccine card. So this is outside Berlin, my former place of residence. He reportedly kills him, killed himself and his family over fears of his fake vaccine card being discovered by his employer. German police said that they were called to a gruesome scene at the man's home on Saturday by witnesses who saw lifeless bodies through the windows. They discovered five members of the family killed at the home in the town of Königswürstenhausen, outside of Berlin. The 40-year-old parents were found with their children aged 10, 8, and 4. They found a suicide note that explained that the man had obtained fake vaccine cards for himself and his wife, but that the employer had discovered the false documents. The parents were afraid that their children might be taken away from them, said Chief Public Prosecutor Gernard Bentelon, because the employer had threatened to report them. Investigators believe the man killed his wife and the children and then killed himself. German media reported that the family had been under quarantine. Germany has raised social distancing restrictions after coronavirus cases have soared in recent weeks. Merkel said, and I played this, I think, yesterday, two days ago, the fourth wave must be broken, and this has not yet been achieved. Given the situation, I think it is appropriate to adopt compulsory vaccination. And so compulsory vaccination is taking its toll on the lives of people all over the globe. That's why people are out in the streets marching, protesting, willing to lose their jobs uh, because they, they know something's not right here. Something is not right. It's not only a dangerous thing, but it's also the coercion that we cannot allow. We cannot allow it. And so uh, we must continue to fight Um so, and then one, just one other thing about overseas. Slovakia ha- was her- heralded as the country that succeeded the most with masks. I haven't got time to go into detail, but they, they were crazy about masks, and they succeeded in get their po- getting their population to bend the knee. And now they have the highest rate of COVID in the entire world. The highest rate of COVID in the entire world from the country that succeeded the most using masks. All right, we'll take a break. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Convinced that their marriage was a mistake, they were ready to throw in the towel. But on the next Focus on the Family, you'll hear Guy and Amber Leah share why they stayed together and what they did to start eliminating marital tension to find true peace in Christ. That's next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. 
The FCC is supposed to be a guardian of freedom of speech on radio, TV, satellite, wire, and cable, but that could change if President Biden's nominee for commissioner, Gigi Sohn, is confirmed. She's already shown her bias against conservative broadcasters, and her tie-breaking vote in the FCC could go against outlets like American Family Radio and American Family News. Contact your senator and urge them to oppose Gigi Sohn's nomination to the FCC. For more information, visit afa.net. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. These words were shared between Cleopas and his companion on the seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus as Jesus, in resurrected form, used the Hebrew scriptures to reveal himself to them as the Messiah. There are at least 109 distinct biblical prophecies the Messiah had to fulfill. The mathematical probability of such a feat occurring is astoundingly absurd, yet that absurdity is satisfied in Jesus, the Messiah. Come, let us adore Him. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner. For more, from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. One of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. That was the legalization of abortion. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slaughtered in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light supports life. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Join Kevin Sorbo and Preborn in standing for life. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com. This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Joe Biden spent two hours yesterday on a high-stakes phone call with Russia's Vladimir Putin. Unfortunately, such diplomatic heavy lifting like Biden's recent four-hour virtual summit with China's Xi Jinping constitutes elder abuse for a man in his declining cognitive condition. Worse yet, it may put our country and its vital interests in significant jeopardy. After all, thugs like Putin and Xi have gotten where they are and remained there by understanding and exploiting their adversaries' strengths and shortcomings. Even before Biden's disastrous defeat in Afghanistan, both men had taken his measure and were underwhelmed, to put it mildly. There's a very real risk that both Putin and Xi will calculate that they can exploit Biden's condition and inadequacies and the condition to which both have reduced the United States to chew off additional parts of the free world with impunity. This is Frank Gaffney. Christmas from American Family Radio and Sandy Rios in the Morning.
that clashed that day in Pacific Beach. Now, 10 people in total were arrested, and today several of them appeared virtually in court to hear their charges. Using bear mace on multiple individuals, we have Mr. Mora attempting to swing at a local photographer. Uh, in, this, in this case, it essentially is a group beatdown that happens over eight different attacks involving 16 different victims. Details of the violent counter-protests were read aloud in court Monday. The district attorney's office says on January 9th, 15 to 20 Antifa members planned and attacked perceived members of the Patriot March rally in Pacific Beach. Court documents detail that the defendants used chairs, sticks, glass bottles, and fists to attack people, including minors, sending one to the hospital. There was a dog, a journalist, and a vandalized business that were caught in the crossfire. Lastly, the DA's office described how the counter-protesters threw bottles, eggs, rocks, and maced officers before the crowd was finally broken up. There are 16 known victims of the violence. The defendants in court Monday pleaded not guilty to charges including conspiracy to commit a riot, illegal use of tear gas, assault by means likely to produce great bodily injury, and vandalism. If convicted, the defendants face a sentencing range of probation up to 10 years and eight months in prison. In downtown, Jackie Crea, NBC7. Well, let's just a pause. Let's build an altar because I. when have you heard of Antifa members being prosecuted? This is really amazing and so welcome. And it, however delayed, I am grateful. Happening in San Diego and the, the background was that um, th this was, I think, uh, I get the date here. It's uh, January the 9th in San Diego. A group of pro-Trump protesters, or no, they weren't protesters. They were just, you know, it was a patriot march. And so Antifa showed up. I saw quite a few video on this, and they do what they do. They do what they always do. I mean, they completely maced a man with his dog unexpectedly with out provocation. Uh, they beat people. They kicked them. Uh, they hit them. They, they dragged one woman. One woman. They knocked her over and started hitting her. Uh, she was. She, they're just the people, as you can imagine, at these uh, Trump supporting events. Uh, they're just like couples coming in to support, you know, uh, the president, and they get attacked by Antifa. It's been happening all over the country, mostly in the Northwest and the East Coast, not so much in the Midwest, uh, although Minnesota, I guess you could say for sure. But um, so this was a Patriot March, and um, they defined this charges as uh, acts of violence such as assault, battery, Assault with deadly weapons, arson, and vandalism. Um, so I want to read just a little bit more about it because I found this really interesting that uh, they were black clad as always. And remember, uh, even the FBI director told us, uh, Christopher Ray, that they weren't prosecuting Antifa because Antifa is more of an idea. It's just a, it's an idea. It's not really an organization, you know, just so we can't really, you know, we can't go after ideas. And so they haven't gone after Antifa. So this is not the FBI. This is local authorities. So um, the criminal complaint said are, um, the arrestees are self-identified to be affiliated with the anti-fascists or Antifa and began organizing themselves into San Diego and Los Angeles-based groups a week before pro-Trump Patriot March on January 9th. The Office of the District Attorney, Summer Steffen, Citing video evidence said that overwhelmingly the violence in this incident was perpetrated by Antifa affiliates 
and was not a mutual fray between both with both sides crossing out of lawful First Amendment expression into riot and violence. Boy, that's new, isn't it? They always say, well, you know, both sides were at fault, both sides were violent, and she's making it clear that that's just not true. The complaint said that the defendants launched their criminal conspiracy by liking and sharing a January the 2nd social media post that called for a counter-protest against the pro-Trump rally, in essence agreeing to take part in the direct action. Others agreed by showing up in Pacific Beach on January 9th and t- of 2021 and participating in the violence described in the complaint. The Antifa faithful were accused of using pepper spray, small flagpoles, sticks, and other tools to attack the pro-Trump group. Uh, several attacks noted in the complaint appear to match incidents recorded and shared online, such as an Antifa mili- militant pepper spraying a dog and its owner. The prosecutor said the aforementioned act was carried out by Jeremy Jonathan White, 39, who remained in jail Monday in lieu of a $200,000 bail. Or the people in San Diego are serious about this, and God bless them for it. This is justice. This is They've been getting away with this for so long. They've even killed people. We saw that in Portland. A man shot, and nothing ever happened. It's just it's amazing. On the street, uh, uh, Jonathan White faces charges of conspiracy, assault with a deadly weapon, use of tear gas, um, there's a lot more to say here. Um, there's one video of a guy coming up behind people and hitting them, you know, on the back of the head, which is what they love to do. And there's a whole list of the people that have been charged. And I was curious to see what their names are. Their, their names are often so strange. I, mean, I know that's a blanket statement. We think of Gage Grosskreutz. Gage Grosskreutz in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Gage is affiliated with Antifa. He claims he's not part of it, but he's, you know, kind of part of it. And so um, maybe maybe there's not a membership card. I don't know. Uh, but Gage Grotzkois, that's a strange name, isn't it? So I thought, what are these names? Luis Francisco Mora, Joseph Austin Gaskins, Faraz Martin Talab, Brian Rivera, Brian Lightfoot, Jesse Merrill Cannon, Alexander Acreage Jacobs, a lot of three-name three, three name names, Christian Martinez, Samuel Howard Ogden. You know, um, and what does that mean? Nothing. <laughs> I just was curious. I would just say that um, a lot of Antifa, it seems to me, uh, following in the tradition of the Weather Underground, which I've talked about so often, uh, with um, uh, Bernadine Dorn and uh, Bill, yes, yes, I'm just going by, anyway, what is his name, her husband, uh, were the, the children of very, very wealthy, successful people. And they're the ones who became the violent revolutionaries of the of the 70s and 80s. Um, so um, the just so these kids, I think the three. Okay, this is a hint, just an indication. Again, it means nothing, but the three names usually that comes from those are families that usually um, the the wealthy like to name their kids with three names, maybe four sometimes. So I'm just saying it seems to follow that pattern. All right, so that's good, and I want to just then go to January sixth. But so by contrast, the January sixthers, of course, so many of them, what, what seven hundred have been uh, arrested and treated, as you know as I don't have to repeat, do I, in the most horrific circumstances. Joseph McBride, who's a defending several of them, was on with Tucker Carlson just a few nights ago, and I want you to hear just a little bit of what Joseph had to say about what's happening to them. Clip 23. They're being withheld from the public because, like the Kennedy assassination, the government does not want us to see the truth about what happened on January 6th. I filed the motion this week asking for the unmasking of, this, of these videos. That motion was joined by the New York Times in a 16-point in a uh, 
press conglomerate. They, they signed on and they said, you know what, we want to see the truth about what happened as well. The police brutality that took place inside of that tunnel is objectionable. There was one woman in particular who was wearing a, a red MAGA hat who was beaten within an inch of her life. Guess what? She lived and she is likely at some point going to tell that tale. Roseanne Boylan died at the foot of those steps. Ashley Babbitt was murdered on national TV and nobody has said nothing. The other side has labeled her an insurrectionist when she yeah. was nothing of the sort, nothing of the kind. The truth is going to come out. They cannot stop it. That is why we are asking for the government and for the judge, quite frankly, to release these tapes and let the chips fall where they may. Let the public and let the media objectively look at the evidence here and make a decision about what really happened that day. The truth is on our side. Yep, the truth is on our side. There's no question about that. Yesterday, Louis Gohmert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and um, yeah, from Florida, uh, Matt, Matt Gates, uh, did a press conference, which I only saw, uh, uh, Breitbart was the only outlet where I even caught a glimpse of this. Uh, and they were talking about the conditions inside that jail. Remember, they went inside uh, and they have produced a document now to talk a little bit more about what they saw, and that's what they had the press conference for. I'm hoping to get one of them on in the next, well, probably not this week, but next week to talk about that in a little more detail. But if you uh, want to know, you may have some skeptics among you. There always are. There is a video that called Capital Punishment. I've mentioned it to you before. It was published by, produced by Western Journal, and you have to pay, I think, nine ninety nine for it. Uh, but uh, I did that. I, I still have yet to watch it. But the description of it, it sounds like you're going to see a lot of the video that I've actually seen myself, but I haven't seen all of it, I'm sure. Video that's not been released. It's a wait for people to see that there are there's so many things happened, as Joseph said, inside that tunnel that were just egregious. And those are not the videos that the uh, the you know the the powers that be are allowing the American people to see. And we've had such a hard time getting the government to release those video. It's just been horrific, but little by little it's coming out, and I think in time maybe we will know. Uh, Mark Meadows, uh, former chief of staff for President Trump, has ended his cooperation with the January 6th committee. Uh, they have actually now tried to get, they've subpoenaed his phone company, trying to get in his phone records, even personal things, and so uh, they've decided, he and his attorney, that they can no longer cooperate because Obviously, this January 6th committee is not operating in good faith. And that brings me to um, uh, John Eastman, who will be our guest on Friday. John was President Trump's attorney. Uh, he was on the stage with Pre President Trump on January the 6th. He was the one with the hat on. He's the one who wrote the paper laying out why he felt he was trying to encourage Vice President Pence to hold off on certifying the electors because several states had asked President Vice President Pence to hold off because there were irregularities. Uh, and so John now, of course, is in the crosshairs of that committee, and his story is, you know, they're trying to disbar him. Uh, they've gotten him re re removed from his uh, former employment as uh, the dean at Chapman Law School, and so uh, he's going to be our guest on Friday, and I think that you will, you'll want to see this. There are so many things happening. I, um, where do I go next with the few minutes that I have? Um, I guess, the, uh, let's see how long this clip is. Last night, Tucker had a really interesting uh, um, guest on, but I don't think I'm going to have a chance to get to that. It has to do with uh, with athletes who are, are men who are competing in women's sports. Uh, the the, lead, the latest dust-up, and this is a huge dust-up, is a swimmer named Leah Thomas, Thomas who up until um, November, let's see, up until recently, uh, was, you know, a male swimmer. 
and uh, then decided to become a female swimmer, although he's still a man, and he has just been running away with the division titles. He swept the 100-meter, 200-meter, 500-meter freestyle events, uh, and uh, during events on Akron, Ohio, he once again crushed uh, records in three events. I just want you to hear the first part of this. This is Tucker last night with a feminist, Democrat feminist. I want you to hear her take on this. This is clip five. If you've been a swimmer or had kids who swim, 38 seconds doesn't happen in competitive swimming. I mean, that's not even, that's a different sport. So this has totally upended a sport that we've had for, you know, over 100 years in this country. Where are all the parents, the coaches, the swimmers? Like, why isn't anybody saying anything? A lot of people are saying things. A lot of parents are speaking out. I think a lot of students are very scared of speaking out because saying, look, this isn't appropriate. We shouldn't have men competing in women's sports is a very unpopular thing to say. The other thing I just want to say is very often this is framed as having so-called transgender athletes participating in women's sports. And I really want us to get away from that language. The truth of the matter is that he is a man and he's been allowed to compete in women's sports. Part of the problem is that a lot of this is happening because of a series of orders that the Biden administration issued over the course of the first six months of the administration impacting Title IX, among other federal administrative laws. And it essentially says that throughout federal administrative law, the word sex has to be redefined to include the words gender identity. And that is a disaster for women and girls, including the women who are on the UPenn women's swimming team. Yeah, well, it just eliminates women and girls but, as, a, as a meaningful category. Like, they don't exist anymore. So how can you undo this? I mean, let's be honest. You, you cover this stuff. I, I'm from Washington. Like, you, you change something like that. No one ever changes it back, right? Well, so there is currently a lawsuit pending that was filed by 20 states, and I'm proud to say that the U.S. chapter of the Women's Human Rights Campaign submitted a brief in that case arguing that redefining sex to include the nebulous, nonsensical concept of gender identity also right. constitutes sex discrimination. Right. And That's so I'm very Karadansky. happy to be And uh, she, in that. again, is a, she's a Democratic feminist, and she goes on to tell Tucker, Tucker uh, that we have to stop using the term gender identity because there's no such thing, and the word transgender. And I think she's right because uh, the swimmer we're talking about is still a man. He's a man. He's not a transgender thing. He's a man uh, competing in women's sports. And she's right. It clarifies, and language does matter. And I think she's right to point out the error of our ways on that issue. It only confuses people. And God bless her. Whatever her position, she's speaking the truth. And our God is the God of all truth. I'm grateful for that. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.